in the dead of night, when the moon is high and ill winds blow, and the banshees cry and the moonlight casts an unearthly glow, arise, my love, with tales of woe. Twelve midnight, the paranormal hour. Welcome to Ghost to Ghost. I'm your host, Chief Lawson. Ghost to Ghost is a podcast to discuss all paranormal and parapsychology subjects. You can find Ghost to Ghost on all major formats. So tell your friends, tell your family. Come listen to Ghost to Ghost. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Ghost to Ghost. Tonight's topic: the legend of Sleepy Hollow and its origins. My guests tonight are Jennifer Verne, research manager and podcast producer. Good evening. My uh, case manager, Heather Lawson, and podcast director. Hello. And, of course, myself. Uh, welcome to our broadcast, and let's get underway. In the dark shadow of the grove, on the margin of the brook, he beheld something huge, misshapen, black, and towering. It stirred, but seemed gathered up in the gloom, like some gigantic monster ready to spring upon the traveler. The hair of the affrighted pedagogue rose upon his head with terror. What was to be done, to turn and fly, was now too late. And besides, what chance was there of escaping ghost or goblin, if it such it was, which would could ride upon the wings of the wind? Summoning up, therefore, a show of courage, he demanded in stammering accounts, Who are you? He received no reply. He repeated his demand in still more agitated voice. Still, there was no answer. Once more, he cuddled, cudgeled at the sides of the inflexible gunpowder, and shutting his eyes, broke forth with involuntary fervor into a psalm tune. Just then, the shadowy object of alarm put itself in motion, and, with a scramble and a bound, stood at once in the middle of the road. Though the night was dark and dismal, yet the form of the unknown might now in some degree be ascertained. He appeared to be a horseman of large dimensions, and mounted on a black horse of powerful frame. He made no offer of molestation or sociability, but kept aloof on one side of the road, jogging along on the blind side of old Gunpowder, who had now got over his fright and waywardness. Ichabod, who had no relish for this strange midnight companion, and bethought himself of the adventure of Brom Bones with the galloping Hessian, now quickened his steed in hopes of leaving him behind. The stranger, however, quickened his horse to an equal pace. Ichabod pulled up and fell into a walk, thinking to lag behind. The other did the same. His heart began to sink within him. He endeavored to resume his psalm tune but his parched tongue clove to the roof of his mouth, and he could not utter a stave. There was something in the moody and dogged silence of his pernicious companion that was mysterious and appalling. It was soon fearfully accounted for. On mounting a rising ground, which brought the figure of his fellow traveler in relief against the sky, gigantic in height and muffled in a cloak, Ichabod was horror-struck on perceiving that he was headless. 
but his horror was still more increased on observing the head, which should have rested on his shoulders, was carried before him on the pommel of the saddle. My favorite story. Yes, and that's from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. That's what we're going to delve in tonight, guys. Yep, it's that time of year, folks. We got fall beginning to happen, and it's after the first day of fall. And weather may not look fallish out there yet, but no. it's getting there. No. <laughs> Trees are starting to turn, so and I, I love this time of year. I think everybody loves the fall. This is know. the best time of year, absolutely. Oh, God, yes. And this is always, you know, this is, to me, this is equal to the Christmas Carol. You know, there's been so many versions yeah. uh, filmed of the Headless Horseman, and, and but I mean, my God, this is... Uh, this is a story it really sets the season. Yeah, it does. It, it really, really does. really does. I think everybody um, can equate Halloween with the Headless Horseman. Oh, yeah. You know, you've done a deep dive on this. so Yes, I have done a deep dive. And uh, it's going to be a little bit, like I told you before we started recording, uh, a little bit piecemeal. We may have to stop and start again because okay. as I was doing more research after I had already written the script, I found an amazing article. And I'm going to oh, source it neat. right here, right now, before I forget. because. Okay. Um, this guy took a very deep dive, and I wish really? I had found this before I put the script together because the script would have been better. But uh, it's the classic horror blog, Literary Essays on Gothic Horror, Ghost Stories, and Weird Fiction by M. Grant Kellerman. Hmm. And so if you guys enjoyed this episode, yeah, you need to go find this up. online and read it. It is long and lengthy oh, yeah. and utterly amazing. Just amazing. So let's uh, get started with just a little bit of the history of the area Alrighty. that we're talking about here. So the two square miles that make up the village of Sleepy Hollow always belonged to the Native Americans before the Old World colonists, Europeans, came over to the New World. This was Native American land. Okay. Um, when the colonists did come over, the Dutch came over to this area, and they named it the New Netherlands. Relations between the tribe and the judge were pretty good, relatively peaceful, mm -hmm. until about uh, 1643 or so. The Dutch then started to war with several of the tribes in the area. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, this uh, is this more Puritan Dutch, or is this more Dutch-German that we're talking about? Well, the area was a lot of Dutch colonists, a lot of um, French Huguenots. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if they were necessarily Puritan Dutch, but I would imagine a good portion of them probably some, were. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, probably were. Um, in 1655, Adrian van der Donk, a Dutch colonist, first published a work which referred to the Pocantico, Pocantico River. I tried and tried to get that right. <laughs> Pocantico River. And he had named it Slappershaven. Or Slapper's Haven. Oh, that's Haven. very interesting. Mm-hmm. And that literally translates to Sleeper's Haven. Wow. So keep that in mind, because that's going to come up in just a little bit when I talk about something else. All right. Um, so Sleepy Hollow appears to be a later Anglicanized version of this name. Hmm. And it actually applied to the valley near the Pocantico River. Um, it serves as the name of the incorporated village, but that didn't happen until 1996. Wow. So, wow. yeah, I know, quite a ways, it uh, was never officially Sleepy Hollow until 1996. Even though it was referred to as Sleepy Hollow from the time Irvington, um, Washington Irving started the story sure. and publicized it, he fought for the name of that area to be Sleepy Hollow, which we'll talk about again in a little bit. 
but it was never officially Sleepy Hollow until 1996, which I, I was so tourist surprised. trade. Yeah, that's got to be. They had to do it. You I, know? Yeah, they had to actually make it officially legal. Okay, so back to history. In 1664, the British seized the New Netherlands colony and renamed it New York. It's never been right since. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for all my friends in New York, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> During that time, an ambitious Dutchman, Frederick Phillips, or Phillips C., gained influence with the new English governors in New York. And that okay. enabled him to buy up a lot of property and a lot of lands um, yeah. in the area, just along the east side of the Hudson. So that's where we're, we're talking about here, the east okay. side of the Hudson. Okay. Frederick Phillipsy died in 1702. He and his second wife, Catherine Van Cortland, are buried in the crypt in the old Dutch church cemetery of okay. Sleepy Hollow. Hmm. Uh, Phillipsy's son, Adolf, then inherited the northern half of Phillipsburg, which is what this area was called. Yes. It was called Phillipsburg. There was uh, northern Phillipsburg, they called upper Phillipsburg. Now, have you seen time period photos of this or... Anything you when you were researching? I did find some. Did you? Once I found Mr. Uh, Kellerman's article. Okay. <laughs> yes. I was just curious. I just wonder what that looked like. Uh, no, I just wondered. Yes, there's there's several, and that uh, area is really the historical societies out there have really sure. uh, mapped everything and preserved everything, so the history is really well kept in this area. Good. And um, I just told my husband as I was leaving today that uh, this is. Now come to the top of my bucket list to go. Yeah, <laughs> yes, this will, this will definitely have to be one of the times. Yes, that, yes, 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 yes. So the families of Phillipsburg were largely Dutch American, like we said, French Huguenot, Swiss, and German. Okay, so all okay. of those were in this area. Gotcha. Um, most of them sided with the new Congress during the time of the Revolution, right? Yes. The Phillips's family sided with King George. Oh, they were loyal, mm -hmm, yeah. very much. So at the end of the War of Independence, the Phillipsy's family fled back to England. And this allowed the local farmers the opportunity to buy their own farms and their tenants. Sure. And the old Dutch ways really prevailed and sunk into this area, big time. Uh, and that was by the end of the 18th century. Okay. Okay. All so right. that's a little bit about the area, which we're going to delve into more once I uh, start bringing in some of uh, Mr. Kellerman's research on that. So yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So who's Washington Irving? You know, we know the name Washington Irving from the Legend of Sleepy Hollow sure. story that everybody knows. Probably the knows, most famous right? story that he wrote, right. yes. Um, but he was much, much more than that. Um, he is an American author. He's also a historian. And he's a diplomat. He was actually assigned yeah, to I saw that. To I was Spain. He was really? a diplomat for Spain. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't know that at all. Yeah, he I didn't either. A good portion of his life in Europe, so like seventeen years of his life, was lived in Europe. Um, he was born in New York. He is the youngest of eleven children. His father is a Scotch Irish immigrant. Wow. Okay, and he was named for George Washington. I think he was born on or around the his inauguration date. Oh wow. Yeah, that's what the and the stories claim that his nanny held up. Um, an infant Washington Irving to President George Washington saying, hey, this child is here and he was named for you and all that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. So that's a folklore. We don't have yeah. any obviously record of that. <coughs> um, his family were merchants. So he was also a merchant and he was a naval officer um, in the war. 
I didn't and, know a little bit about that because yeah, I, I, I studied that. Yeah, and I think that's the War of 1812. Yes, it was. Um, I put in my notes American Revolution, but I just had the revolution on my brain, mm-hmm. but um, he wasn't born yet. No. <laughs> but he was a naval officer in the War of 1812. Naval history, part of the naval <clears throat> officer program, you, you go through that. And I, I was very surprised to know he was naval officer, but he was. Yeah, I didn't know. And then um, after that, he ended up in Europe like I said, for 17 years, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of his uh, knowledge and basis for the, the story comes Influence, in as we'll talk yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. However, in the late 1790s, so he was born 1783, 1793, he'd be 10, later than that, probably, they didn't give me an exact date, but I'm thinking 1796, sure. 97, somewhere in there, when he okay. was a late teen, mid-teen, late teen. Young man, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that day and age, that was a young man. Yes. He Uh, became of age that early, right? Sure. Um, There was a uh, yellow fever epidemic in New York. And he was sent to a relative of his, James K. Paulding, and his family. He and Paulding, I think, were about the same age. And they Mm. lived in Terrytown. So he went to Terrytown to avoid that yellow fever epidemic. And during that time is when these two young guys went around that area hunting, fishing, talking with the locals, you know. Yes. So this was 15 years after the Revolutionary War, not that long ago, right? Exactly. No. Or from the time he's there, so the Revolution's been a long time Still ago. Still good in everybody's mind. It, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. And so Terrytown and the 30 miles around it are what considered kind of a no-man's land, what we would think of a no-man's land today, a demilitarized zone, that sort of thing. Um, The British had command to the south of the area, and the Continental Army was staged to the north of the area. This middle ground was where double agents hung out, spies back and forth. Uh, Lawlessness ensued in the area. There were cowboys and skinners. They were actually called cowboys and skinners. The cowboys were more of a... um, like a rebel gang type sort mm-hmm. of, you know. Talk about eclectic mix. Right, yeah, yeah. flip-flopping back and forth. Now, the Skinners, they were just completely criminalistic bad guys. They didn't care for either side. Exactly. They didn't care. Um, and they were the nasty guys. So, in this area is actually where Major John Andre um, was captured and waylaid. After meeting with Benedict Arnold, this oh, is really? where he was captured at the tulip tree with the plans for West Point in his boots. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. And the reason he was captured, and thank you, Mr. Kellerman, again to this article. This is what I found out today. Um, let's go back over here so I grab the proper notes. Which I didn't bring over. Okay, but I remember the story. Okay. Um because the article had so much. I was just kind of bit and piecing, grabbing some more stuff. Um, but it was so chock full of information. But Andre was actually captured because the um, the Continental Army deserter was actually wearing a Hessian coat. Okay. So Andre thought he was speaking to a loyalist. So when they asked, yes. what side are you on? He said he was British. Yes. Because he thought he was talking to British people. So he was trying uh-huh. to cover himself. Turned out it wasn't. He was a turncoat, almost freaking literally, oh, yeah. right? Yes. So that's how he was captured. <clears throat> and then, wow. of course, he was hung elsewhere. But that happened right here in Terrytown. You said something about a tulip tree. The tulip tree is still there. He was uh-huh. captured under a tulip tree. Wow. And we'll get back to that one 
Okay. Later okay. on again. I'm interested because it's one of the degrees in the Scottish Rite. We 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 have a gentleman who plays uh, uh, Benedict Arnold, and we talk about the capturing and everything, but it doesn't really give a lot of information. So that was actually in Terrytown. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I'll get more to, to Andre okay. when I, at the okay. end of the episode. I get back. Already. All right. Okay. So. Irving began his literary career at a very young age. Like I said, his family were merchants, um, and the business was kind of failing. So mm-hmm. he then took off to Europe, which is why he went to Europe, to try and help establish sure, and sure. bring that up. Yeah. Um, but the business actually ended up failing. Wow. Um, Washington Irving is also a lawyer. He got a he no, went to I knew school, that, became yes. a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, some places say he passed the bar. Some places said he didn't pass the bar. Mostly, it was like he didn't really enjoy being a lawyer, so he never pursued that career. Yeah, exactly. But he did pursue his writing. Um, he did essay writing, satirical pieces for newspapers. Um, in 1802, he traveled to Europe, like I said, to improve his health and to bring up the family business. And he spent several years exploring the various countries. I think like 17 years. I think he was over in Europe. Wow. He went to France, Italy. Giant vacation. Yeah, yeah. right. England, Germany. All those places. So during that time, he began to write his first major work, which was published in 1809, I believe. And that work is, even though he's in Europe, it's called A History of New York from the Beginning of the World to the End of the Dutch Dynasty. Okay. So, you know, this is going to be an in-depth catalog and chronology of New York and its history and the Dutch and all that. Yes. So we've got underlying our basis for our Sleepy Hollow story Mm -hmm. right here, right? Oh, yeah. At least uh, part of it. At least part of it. And so this is published under the pseudonym Diedrich Knickerbocker. That's going to be important. He did a lot of his writing under this name of Diedrich Knickerbocker. And Knickerbocker is a New York term. I don't know the origins of Knickerbocker, but it's interesting because... Well, the hotel's named after... You know, the Knickerbocker. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. I assume the individual, but I'm not... I don't know. The the New York Knicks, the basketball team... And yeah. then there is a Kinderhook. That sounds familiar. I think. Kinderhook, New Jersey, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Knickerbocker is what, you know, New Yorkers are called. It might be interesting one day to, to dive into that and figure out. If any of our listeners well, nerd, know yeah. what that yeah. is. Post that on Facebook. Tell let me. us know. Let, yeah. let me know. Let me know. Um, so Irving's most famous work, obviously, is A Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yeah. And he also wrote Rip Van Winkle. Uh, Sleepy Hollow came out in 1819 and Rip Van Winkle in 1817. Both of them are published in a collection of short stories that are entitled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gentleman. So they didn't come out in the same publication of this sketchbook. It's like a whole series of short stories. Wow. And I brought with me today... This did, massively did thick book. Oh, yeah. What is that? What? Oh, three, three four inches? inches? Yeah, yeah, if not more. And this has got all of his stories in it. Wow. And so everything that was published in... Did he in, write something in Christmas as well? There are Christmas okay, stories. Okay, it seems like I remember several stories he, yeah, he had written. it's called Christmas, The Stagecoach, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, The Christmas Dinner. And I as think I was that's reading through it, Christmas dinner is one it's idea. It's just kind of like a continuation from the previous story. So sure. I thought the Christmas Eve would be one story, and then I flipped to Christmas dinner, and it was like the next day, blah blah blah. Yes. So 
these are all his stories from the sketchbook. Then he's got from Tales from the Traveler. Then he's wow. got uh, Wolfert's Roost and other papers. And Wolfert's Roost wow. is going to come into play a little bit later, too. But this is a oh, fantastic yeah. book. Yeah. I so treasure this book and love it. But I didn't realize until doing this that that sketchbook yeah. was actually kind of like a little pamphlet or booklet of several short stories and then digest yes and then another year later they would read um publish another sketchbook with different stories maybe some of the old ones but so that's where sleepy hollow and rip van winkle now they're calling a sketchbook did they have illustrations in it as well i don't know i would imagine they would because i'm assuming yes yes i would imagine that they would have um but i did not see an original uh picture or any copies of that yeah but Rip Van Winkle kind of really put a trigger into my head yes. because of what we're talking about with Sleepy Hollow. Because mm-hmm. like we had said, Sleepy Hollow wasn't the name of the town. It was kind of the name of the area, Sleeper's Haven. Yes. What's the story Rip Van Winkle about? Sleeping. Sleeping, Sleeping. right? So I'm going to go straight from the summary from Britannica on Rip Van Winkle. Just for those who don't know the Rip Van Winkle story. Rip Van Winkle is an amiable farmer who wanders into the Catskill Mountains where he comes upon a group of dwarves playing nine pins. Rip accepts their offer of a drink of liquor and promptly falls asleep. When he awakens 20 years later, he is an old man with a long white beard and the dwarves are nowhere in sight. So, side, side tangent. Divergent. That's a really nice We're going way of putting that story. Yeah. It is a really nice way of putting the story. He falls asleep in Sleeper's Haven, Sleepy Hollow, right? Because this yes. took place in the Catskills, yeah. which is, I think, north of the area we're talking about, technically. Yes. But the rabbit hole we're going to go down a second, Heather. Sleeper's Haven, he's fallen asleep for 20 years. He goes in search of dwarves, right? Okay. Dwarves that he has heard, that everybody in the hero has heard playing in the woods, right? Yes. yes. And they're like, don't go after them. Rip Van Winkle wasn't a nice guy. No, he was not. No. No, he wasn't. And it's not a nice story, really, if you read the whole thing. But... Much like most fairy tales. It is fairy. Not, yeah. Fairy. Mm-hmm. Irish legends and well, Welsh legends and, yes. you know... Don't follow. Don't go mm-hmm. into the fairy circles. Do no. not join a fairy party. You will never get out. Don't eat or drink Don't any eat or drink food. anything being... Yeah. Exactly. So this right here shows that he has just pulled all of his knowledge from his folklore that oh, he's yes. learned over there, and he's brought it over here, placed it into these Catskills, into these sleepy haven, into yes. this sleepy hollow area. And I was just like, holy cow. Hey, it all like I fits. Said, it all fits. Yeah. I didn't even know he wrote Rip Van Winkle, but now when I look at it, I was like, of course, it all fits. It's so cool. And Makes this is sense. why I love history. Yeah. This is why I love history. So, okay, we'll come back up and get back on on task here. But I just thought that was... That's a neat connection. It really is a neat connection. It really is. It really is. I'm still sitting here thinking of the whole Knickerbocker thing through my head a dozen (laughs) times over. I didn't know New Yorkers were called Knickerbockers. I didn't know that. I I think they are because that's where the the New York Knicks got their name. Yes. And I've always heard that, but... I'd love to know what the word actually means, so, you know. We're going to have to do a deep yeah, dive definitely. on that when we stop recording definitely, here. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, throughout his life, Irving continues to write and publish. Um, he wrote biographies, travelogues, historical accounts, all of this, right? 
Uh, he's known for his vivid storytelling, um, his humor, and romanticistic depictions of American history. Like I was telling you before we um, started recording, Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow are the only two yes. stories set in America. All of his other short stories are set, set in Europe. In Europe. Hmm. And there's actually another good one, The Spectre Bridegroom. I have read that to the kids when they were young. That sounds familiar. It is I think so I've good. That and it is so funny. It's very, very uh, humorous. Mm-hmm. A lot of humor in uh, Irving's writings. Um, so even though he is an American author, a lot of his stories aren't American-based. Yes. But he's still a great American literaturist. I mean, he really is. And he isn't as celebrated as some of the others that that we know. Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Sure. Those are more famous American than writers what he is, yeah. than what he is. But but I'm wondering if he didn't write more than all of them put together. I mean, you know. Oh, I don't know about Edgar Allan Poe, I think. Yeah. But Edgar Allan Poe was much more of a dark, gothic novelist. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Whereas Irving was just pre-gothic, coming into the gothic era, but he had a lot of humor into his gothic yes. novels. Last a lot year, of just to digress for a moment on on uh, poe uh, i and heather started watching they, they had this series and some of poe's unpublished works and they put it into and it's on um what was that on do you remember it wasn't netflix i may have been on who it may have been well, hulu when it or originally came or, out it was fox i believe yeah fox but it, it was only like six episodes they're half hour episodes but one of them in particular is about a haunted uh a um well, it's about a teacher in a college. It's in a uh, what kind of makes you think it's a Catholic college, and he's haunted. Remember the one where he, the pew he kept coming out to the pew, and in the church and sitting there, and he finally becomes the head bishop. Remember that one? I I, I don't remember all the details, but the the house which they give him to reside in is haunted. Oh, nice. And so he has trouble sleeping at night, and he's supposed to be this head proctor. Uh, I'll have to look and see what the story is for that, which one that was. I thought that was really enjoyable. It has a black cat in it. Oh, you know, nice. has all the typical yeah. Poe things. And we watched every one of those. I, I think I've actually recorded them. They're a very interesting uh, set. They really are, so... We'll have to put that in the show notes. Yeah, and yeah, maybe we can do something next we year on Poe. That'd be kind out. of interesting. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yes. we'll we'll uh, pencil that one into the calendar oh, yes. for next year. Yes. Yeah. So, um, like I said, he lived over in England, and then in 1835 he comes back to America and he moves to Terrytown, and he uh, buys a a home that's already standing that uh, is called Wolf's Roost. And I'll get more into that in a little bit. Again, thank you, Mr. Kellermeyer. Yeah. Um, so he is um, bought that house. He calls it Sunnyside. Mm-hmm. Fixes it up. Everything restores it. And then when he dies in 1859, he is buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Ah. But it was actually called the Terrytown Cemetery. Ah. He made them change the name to Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Wow! Wow! And again, this was two hundred plus years oh, before it was the, officially Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, sure, right? But and he had probably the influence to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. because he wrote he the wrote story, the story. Oh, yeah. right? But many other famous and wealthy people are buried here in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Mm-hmm. The Carnegies. Oh yes. The Rockefellers. Walter Chrysler in the Chrysler Building. Names, and the, yes, 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 big big names are all buried yep. here in the cemetery, and. There's also a replica of the supposed bridge that Ichabod Crane crossed. Ah. 
in the cemetery. So, um, I'm going to give a shout out right now to uh, the podcast History Goes Bump podcast. Ah. They've done a, an episode on the legend of Sleepy Hollow, and uh, Diane and Kelly have actually visited Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow. Oh, wow. They were making a trip to Gettysburg. Okay. And there was traffic, and they got sidetracked onto another highway, onto another highway, and then all of a sudden we they see... We know how that works in Indiana. <sighs> right. <laughs> so they see a sign for Terrytown, like, oh my God, we're this close? Yes. So they immediately got off. And so it was a quick 30-minute stop for them. Um, but you guys, it, they are so much fun. You really should check out their podcast. This is where I got my History love. History goes bump. History goes bump. Um, they do a phenomenal job. So, yeah. But they told they actually went into the cemetery because they just picked 30 minutes because they had sure. more of a long drive ahead of them. So um, how where is so Terrytown? How far is that from Gettysburg? You know, I did not look it up on the map. I don't know how so much I, of a I was detour thinking that they was had a bit to, uh, yeah, a bit of ways yeah, because off, that's yeah. in Pennsylvania, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. And we're talking about New York, but they exactly. were coming up the eastern coast, uh, driving up for a long trip. Oh yeah. So they probably had to cut across all sure. of New York. I've always said that I'd I'd loved in the fall go to New England, take Heather up. I, I have oh, been to Bangor, Maine, but it was it was in winter. Uh, I've been to Liberty, I, uh, Liberty Island up through there. I've been up uh, Nor- Norfolk, obviously, and, and some of those areas. But, you know, Falls, a whole different thing. Get around Connecticut, Rhode Island. Oh, and, man. Uh, just looking at those pictures yes. today, I was just like in awe. Just, yeah. It's just serene and gorgeous. And, oh, yes. I mean... Sleeper Shaven is a perfect name for that quiet oh, yes. little piece of heaven. Well, yes, you know? and and you know you could drive through some some of the the mountains there and everything. I mean, it'd be the worth Catskills yeah, the Catskills. Oh yes, I mean, you know, I always uh, I was um, uh, recently speaking at a at a library and. Uh, one of the things we brought up was taps, you know, and they actually formed out of Warwick, Rhode Island. I'm thinking, yeah, this is the place to be in the fall. Oh yeah, you know, and, and oh, some yeah. of the yeah. some of the incredible displays of leaves, and you know, I, I would love to take a, like a motor home and spend a week and just drive up through there. You know, that would be oh, so cool. Yeah, at least. Oh yeah, at yeah, least. at least. <clears throat> okay, so we've hit the area. We've talked about the area. We've talked yes. about. Washington Irving, right? Yes. So let's get a little bit in to the story that he created. The summary from Britannica, as if anybody needs a summary of Sledge's Sleepy yeah. Hollow, but we're going to. <laughs> yes. The protagonist. It wouldn't be Sleepy Hollow. It wouldn't be the Headless Horseman without it. I mean, you know. Right? Yes. Right? So the protagonist of the story is Ichabod Crane, a Yankee school teacher who lives in Sleepy Hollow, a Dutch enclave of the Hudson River. A suggestible man, Crane believes the ghost stories and the tales of witchcraft he has heard and read. He is particularly impressed by the tales of a spectral headless horseman said to haunt the area. Crane is also a mercenary. He courts Katrina von Tassel mostly because she is the daughter of a rich farmer and is expected to receive a large inheritance. Abraham von Brunt, also called Brom Bones, is Crane's jealous rival, a local favorite and a rash horseman who often plays tricks on the schoolmaster. Late one night, as Ichabod Crane rides home from a party at Katrina's home, he is suddenly frightened by a ghost-like headless horseman. The ghost pursues him and hurls at him a round object that he takes to be a head, but is later revealed to have been a pumpkin. The schoolmaster is never seen in Sleepy Hollow again. Wow. 
Yeah. And, and when he says a suggestible, that means gullible. <laughs> yeah, yes, suggestible. Yeah. And also, the one thing that I never thought about in reading the story or hearing the story is really the character of Ichabod Crane. Mm-hmm. He's not a nice man. He's not well liked no, no, in the story. No, no, he's looking for a free ride. He's yeah. looking yeah. for a free ride. Yeah. You know, he wants the money. Brom Bones he's, he's wants lazy. the girl. Yeah. Brown Bones wants yeah. the girl, yeah, he's right? He's definitely he's not. He's 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 an educated man, right? You know, he's he's had a lot of education to be a school teacher. But yeah, that wasn't a trade that most men took up back then. You you were kind of considered to be a bit lazy if you had an education and you were teaching school. Those mm-hmm. were usually men that practiced law or they they were professors in colleges. If you were teaching, you were teaching at, at a scholastic level that was much higher, not a, a a small one room school teacher. You know, right? Yeah. So I never really saw Ichabod as. As the the nemesis or or no. the n- not to say villain but the bad guy in this story. I always saw Brom Bones as the bad guy of the story. Right? Well, that's the way they want you to. But I mean, realistically, if you look at it, Brom Bones is from the area. He's been courting Katrina for some time. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's he's, he's well well. He's a local he's hero. He's a yeah. local varsity football player. Yeah, nowadays, exactly. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. he's the big guy. Yep. And more than likely. Um, he is a revolutionary vet because more likely the legend of Sleepy Hollow takes place in 1790. That's and that's most the everybody over here at that time were vets. They were vets of the Revolutionary yeah. War. So all of these guys would have been, you know, mm-hmm. on the um, the colonist side of the sure. Revolutionary War. So let's break down the, the characters just a little bit, and this is where we're going to have to like hit and miss uh, because I got a lot of information from Mr. Kellerman's wow. article. On some of these characters. Okay. Now I knew. I'm rather excited about this. Yeah. I, I like to learn about these. Yeah. So I knew from my earlier researching uh, that Ichabod Crane is actually a real person. There is oh. a real person named Ichabod Crane. Okay? Somebody named their kid Ichabod. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, and okay. and if you look at the history of the the name Ichabod, you know how all these names have meanings. The name sure. Ichabod isn't really a a good meaning to the name. Um, Okay, so we had to cut there for a second, but I'm going to jump right back in. Uh, Ichabod Crane is actually a real person. Uh, He was Colonel Ichabod Crane. um, And although he gave his name to the character, that's about all he gave. Um, He wasn't really pleased with having his name as the name of this character. Um, Colonel Ichabod Crane is um, a naval officer. Hmm. I think naval officer. Not a colonel. It'd have to be either uh, maybe marine. I said naval because I know Ichabod was a naval. Yeah, it it, it probably could have been the marines were a naval facility. Yeah, naval force. because they were in because Ichabod. Yeah, they were aboard ships. So a colonel might have been a colonel in the the uh, Colonel naval. Crane and Washington yeah. Irving served together okay. during the War of eighteen twelve. That's where they yeah, met. I bet you a dime he was a, probably a marine. Okay, that that likely. would make sense then. Yep. Now the name Ichabod does not have a very good meaning. Oh. If you actually look up the meaning of the name Ichabod, mm-hmm. it's without honor. Oh wow! So that I don't know if Irving knew that when he used the name Ichabod, or if he just liked the name Ichabod Crane. Um, unique, probably very yeah. unique. Yes. So Colonel Ichabod Crane gave his name to the character. There is a person um, in Ireland or Scotland called Long Legs. That uh-huh. 
Right. Well, they they used to call the king Longshanks. Longshanks. Yes, that was yes. Edward Longshanks. Yeah, Edward Longshanks. Yes. Longshanks yep. But there was a um, a school teacher over in Ireland or Scotland. I forget now. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. But he was uh, nicknamed Longlegs because of his tall, lengthy. Yeah, like you know. You so statue. he gave the physical description of Ichabod, but the personality, the actual person that Ichabod Crane is patterned after is a school teacher and a friend of uh-huh. Irving's named Jesse Merwin. Probably isn't he longer, Was he a friend afterwards? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. actually he was. And Some people don't take it as well. I you know? know, I know. Um, yes, they were actually very good friends. And um, Jesse is from upstate, upstate New York in that Kinderhook, New York, okay. is where he okay. was a school teacher. Um, and we're going to get back to Kinderhook again. In just a few minutes about another sure. character. Um, like I said, this is where it's going to get piecemeal because there is so much more information I found out from the article that I read mm-hmm. that is not in the script here. But it's fascinating. And of course, you know, I love the history. Sure. And this just compounds on how he created the story. Okay. Yes. So the legend of Sleepy Hollow, Washington Irving describes the headless horseman as the ghost of a Hessian trooper whose head has been carried off by a cannonball in some nameless battle during the Revolutionary War. Historical documentation, however, does talk of a headless Hessian soldier. And there's actually a couple. Um, The first, Major General William Heath, published his memoirs uh, of his Revolutionary War experiences in uh, 1798. And in the Battle of Hatfield Hill which takes place on October 28, 1776, General Heath placed a regiment and a cannon on Merritt Hill to cover Hatfield Hill. So Merritt Hill was on one side, Hatfield Hill was on the other. Incoming artillery, yeah. Right. The battle was taking place on Hatfield Hill. He put a cannon over on Merritt Hill. Mm -hmm. So on November 1, 1776, Heath writes this in his journal about that battle. A shot from the American cannon at this place of White Plains, took off the head of a Hessian artilleryman. And White Plains is only located about 10 miles from Terrytown. Well, that's good to know. White Plains is an upper upper area of uh, of New York. Okay, so then that's where this ter- that's where Terrytown like is. Kind of Carmel or Fishers in New okay, York. Okay, there we go. So this is near White Plains. So if anybody mm-hmm. knows where White Plains is, yes. you're going to hu- kind of figure out where Terrytown is in relation to that. So when it comes to this Hessian soldier... Mm-hmm. Some people don't think that if this story was happening in and around Terrytown when Washington Irving is up there with Paul Dane yes. in, in the late 1790s, these people are going to say it's some nameless battle because this battle is a massive battle. Yes. And these guys are veterans from this war. They're going to know the battle is not going to be a nameless battle, right? Sure. Okay. There were remains of a decapitated Jaeger, hmm. which Jaeger is actually um, one of the Hessians. The dragoons were part of the Jaeger Corp. Yes. And that Jaeger means huntsman. Mm-hmm. German, okay. yeah. Yeah, so keep that in mind. Huntsman or ranger, but keep huntsman in mind. There was an actual decapitated remains of a Jaeger, which were unceremoniously buried in the old graveyard in an unmarked plot in 1778. Okay. The old graveyard, the old church graveyard that we're talking mm-hmm. about there in Terrytown. And 
uh, today he actually has a a brass tablet on his grave labeled Hessian soldier. Oh. Yeah. Um, funny enough, now whether this is true or not, it is said that the body was interred there by the Van Tassel family. Oh, okay. There is a Van Tassel family in Terrytown. Okay. Okay. And the story goes, the story goes that one night uh, the Van Tassel household was attacked by Hessians, a Hessian dragoon army. And Peter and his mm-hmm. brother were taken out and I believe killed. Yes. The house ended up on fire and Elizabeth Van Tassel and her young daughter were in the house and the Hessians went in saved them, and then brought out blankets and a mattress before the house burned down, essentially saving Elizabeth and her daughter's life. Yes. So it suggested that maybe, maybe, Eliz- they had a maybe heart, Elizabeth yeah. Van Tassel came across this Hessian and thought, yeah. oh, you know what? One good yeah. deed for another. Let's bury yeah. this this poor gentleman, right? Mm-hmm. So those are two possible stories for the Headless Horseman. But this area, being a Dutch enclave and... Old world Europeans, you know, they're folklore, yeah. right? Oh, they're very superstitious. They're highly yeah. superstitious by nature, and their tales and their folklore from the old country have come with them. During this time, they are terrorized by these Hessian soldiers, right? Sure. So a story like this could easily have been going around the hearth fires at night. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. We've got a, a ghost of a Hessian soldier, and he's got no head, and he's you, walking you know, around. You know, one of the things, and I, I like I said, this has always been my favorite story for Halloween, but my favorite, is, of course, is always the Disney, and I think it's because Bing Crosby narrates it, that voice. And, that, yeah. Of course. Yeah, that it, was my first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I tell you what, just the, the whole the whole characterization of Inkerbod being this lanky, goofy sort of guy. I mean, it's just, just perfect. perfect. The whole thing is, but I tell you, the one the one that I like the best as far as the Headless Horseman was the Johnny Depp movie where Christopher Walken plays the Hessian. And that, yes, but that, that is such a different take oh, yes. on the storyline. I mean, it, it, it isn't a good, it isn't Tim historically Burton, accurate no, at all. Tim no. Burton has taken it and twisted oh, yeah. it. As only Tim Burton can, but it is phenomenal. The story is kind of, uh, I neither yeah. hear nor there and the body so, count is high oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 13 or yeah 14. yeah a lot more than yeah than, yes. than you see in a disney classic but you know certainly you know i i i just like the the look of walking walking is such a strange dude yes, to begin with is. but yes. my god he played that well when he gets <laughs> his head and sticks i got that weird look to him and it just seemed like it fit for his you know right. he's such a unique actor anyway but you know there's so many different uh, movie pictorials of these that have been, have been made over the years, and a There's lot of them are not accurate. There's also one with Dick Butkus and uh, Jeff Goldblum from the eighties. I have heard, yeah, I've seen that. Yes, I've, I've seen that. I've never <laughs> seen it. It, it wasn't one of the better ones for the actors, I've heard. but yeah, it, it was. It's it's like you know the Christmas Carol. I own about. I think 16 different versions right, including right. one where uh, Henry uh, Winkler the Fonz oh, yeah. plays the Scrooge and I mean there's a lot of them out there oh, and I, I mean, that one. oh yes yes I have I that one that. I have a bunch of them in my collection the and, Muppet one is the best yeah, yeah the Muppet <laughs> one yeah you gotta love the Muppet one the Muppet one is just you know that's that's Jim Henson inside now right. but you know it, it's one of these things that when you look at this it's it's I, you know being a Knight Templar a lot of people ask me about Kingdom of Heaven it's a great movie and of course all the women like it has Orlando broom but it is also one of the most inaccurate and historically inaccurate right. movies you've ever seen great to watch but there's not a you know, there's no accuracy whatsoever in right. any of this you right. know yeah, but you know yeah i mean no one can find any stories or any folk tales sure. of a headless hessian before irving writes it yes however 
as we all know, folklore, it's oral tradition. It's so oral. Yeah. these stories could have been going around the campfire when he and Paulding were there in 1790 as, as fire ghost stories. I think me and Heather both can say military stories will go along a lot of times and never leave. Uh, one thing, and of course we don't do much cryptozoology, but uh, there is a story of a Sasquatch. It's up in Virginia. At, it's uh, Quantico. Quantico, yeah. And, it, and it's called it's called Scary, Scary Harry. Harry. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, her dad was at Quantico, so I immediately asked him, "Did you?" Of course, you know, being a Marine station up there, and he said, "Nah, he didn't hear any of that." But most of that came out in the seventies. There's, you know, during Desert Storm, I knew a lot of guys that came back and were telling tales about the desert and, and the redhead man. Yes, yes, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of those that yep. don't always make it out unless you're a vet talking to another vet and you're exchanging the story or you're scaring your grandkids. Other than that, you know, you Desert don't mention. Storm it. Was 90s. Yes. Yeah. You said right. 70s. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, I'm sorry. No, yeah, well, no, no. she was yeah. talking about the 70s, and then yeah. we moved forward to <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, Desert Storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm aware it was in the 90s. Yeah. I remember it distinctly, but yes. But I mean, and, and in these small towns. Yes. And my dad retired in the middle of both of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There okay. was really no written um, written lore anyway. It was all yeah. oral lore. Oh, all yeah. All of it. Um, but there is a New York ghost story retold by S.E. Schlosser. Okay. Um, and this is purported to be the story that Irving heard around the campfires that was told. Yes. That maybe sparked his idea for this okay. legend. And it goes, One cold winter night early in the new year, a certain Dutchman left a tavern in Terrytown and started walking to his home in the hollow nearby. His path led to the old Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, where a headless Hessian soldier was buried. At midnight, the Dutchman came within sight of the graveyard. The weather had warmed up during the week, and the snow was almost gone from the road. It was a dark night with no moon, and only one light came from his lantern. The Dutchman was nervous about passing the graveyard, remembering the rumors of a galloping ghost that had heard at the tavern. He stumbled along, humming to himself to keep up his courage. Suddenly his eye was caught by a light rising from the ground of the cemetery. He stopped, his heart pounding in fear. Before his startled eyes, a white mist burst forth from an unmarked grave and formed into a large horse carrying a headless rider. The Dutchman let out a terrible scream as the horse leapt toward him at full gallop. He took to his heels, running as fast as he could, making for the bridge, since he knew that the ghosts and evil spirits could not dare to cross running water he stumbled suddenly and fell rolling off the road into the melting patch of snow the headless rider thundered past him and the man got a second look at the headless ghost it was wearing a hessian commander's uniform the dutchman waited a good hour after the ghost disappeared before crawling out of the bushes and making his way home after fortifying himself with schnapps the dutchman told his wife about the ghost by noon of the next day the story was all over tarrytown the good Dutch folk were divided into their opinions. Some thought the ghost must be the roaming the roads at night in search of his head. Others claimed that the Hessian soldier rose from the grave to lead the Hessians in a charge up nearby Chatterton Hill, not knowing that the hill was already taken by the British. Whatever the reason, the headless horseman continues to robe the roads near Terrytown on dark nights from this to this day. Yeah. So... What I read at the very beginning yeah. is almost exactly the same the story, same story yep. right? Yep. So yep. very much so. Who knows what came first, right? Well, sure. We yeah. j I just we just don't know. Um, 
But we do already know that Irving spent a lot of time in Europe, as we've talked about. Sure. And it's safe to say that his exposure to European folklore and legends influenced not only his story style and the atmosphere that he wanted to incorporate, but the eerie and supernatural folk tales from Germany. Sure. From Ireland. And see, I can't can't speak much on Ireland and Germany, but when I was in England... I'll tell you, the older folks, and I say older because I'm, I'm older, so I, I qualify in that area, but <laughs> they're very superstitious, and they'll tell stories. The younger people, much like in, in the United States, they really don't pay much mind to it. They don't take a lot of the folklore or the legends, you know, really to mind. They don't and they take certainly, it seriously. No, and they don't, they don't memorize it and, and be prepared to pass it down, where a lot of generations before that, that was their duty to pass it on. Right, right. And, you know, that was a pretty common thing. And, right. and I remember we were talking about as soon as everybody found out I was an arresting ghost, everybody's got a story they want to tell you. And oh, yeah. you know, especially when you sit in the pub and you're killing time and, and you're drinking. And oh my God, yes, you know, everybody had one story or another. Right. You know? And I think that's pretty standard nowadays. Well, it's just different. Well, nowadays we all tell our stories. I mean, sure. we have a podcast talking about oh, supernatural yes, stories, yes. right? And there's yeah. so many what out there. Better way to tell it. We all tell stories. We all have it. But back then, and even. In, especially times before electricity. I sure. mean, when it gets sure. dark, it gets dark. dark All dark, you've dark, got dark. is candlelight. Yeah. Yeah. The darkness outside is unknown. It's scary. Oh, yeah. It's fearful. Sure. And these aren't just stories. These things are real to these people, right? Well, one of the worst walks home was from the tavern to your front door. Yeah. Because most of the taverns, yeah, you, if you lived in a small city, it probably was not that terribly far away. But by that time at night, the only body that was out was the people leaving the tavern. And it wasn't a 4 o'clock closing time back then. If you're you on know. a lonely moor or yeah. on a hillside in the highlands somewhere. You take a farmer. He's not that's, in town. No. Yeah, that's a bit of a walk. No, yeah. no. So Even with a horse. You know, we said um, the, the Hessian soldiers were in the Jaeger Corp. And Jaeger was huntsman, right? Mm-hmm. Hessian soldiers are German, right? So the Hessians, they're German soldiers. Yeah, they were mercenaries and, brought over. Well, they were loaned from the Prince of Hesse-Kessel, mm-hmm. which is a, an area of Germany, very little industry. So they yes. relied on their soldiers of, of fortune, their soldiers Sure, for that's hire. who brought the money back. But those poor Hessians didn't get that money. No. The prince they, got they, that they, money yeah, from King yeah, George. The always. prince of the area got that money from King oh, yeah. George. And like I said, Jaeger means huntsman. Yes, in German lore, and I'm going to mispronounce this because this well, is German. This, I'm not and this German. This is where you get to wonder what Jägermeister. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. If you think about oh, it, we know what that word means we, now. Oh, gosh. Don't Master ever Huntsman? drink Jägermeister. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I like licorice, but I don't like Jägermeister. Uh, yeah, I never no. cared for it. It's called Der Wildjager, or hmm. the Wild Huntsman. Yes. Okay. He is a figure in Germanic folklore. He's depicted as a spectral huntsman who leads mm. a ghostly procession through the night sky. The legend of the wild huntsman varies from region to region, and some actually um, are on horseback, but others uh, drive a carriage, a horse-drawn ah. carriage. Okay, Ghost riders in the sky. There you go, right? So he's depicted as in dressing in hunting attire, black horse or a spectral steed, kind of think of yeah. Thestrals from the... Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Black Mariah. Yeah. Uh, the huntsman himself is portrayed as a skeletal figure or a ghostly apparition. And the legend of the wild 
Huntsman has inspired various works in literature and music like we just discussed, right? Yes. He's all out there. Encountering the wild huntsman is considered a bad omen. It is believed that those who witnessed the hunt may be taken away or cursed. Okay? Okay. There's a similar um, specter, and I think even scarier specter, in my opinion, in mm-hmm. Irish folklore called the Dullahan. Okay, now I'm familiar with that. The Dullahan is terrifying because you cannot escape the Dullahan. <clears throat> you can't. Uh, he is described as a headless horseman. He carries his own head under his arm. And the name Dullahan translates and means dark man or man with a black head. Okay. So according to legends, the Dullahan, much like the Grim Reaper, is a harbinger of death. And it's associated with misfortune. Okay. He rides a black horse and he carries a whip made from a human spine. Wow. (laughs) He's depicted as malevolent and terrifying. He is said to have a grotesque appearance. His head is either decaying or skeletal. But the eyes constantly move and dart around. And he can hold that head yeah. up high to look as far oh, as yeah. he wants. Yeah. And his mouth is a wide, toothy grin. Um, and he rides out like a grim reaper, harvesting a soul. Not just yes. any soul. A certain soul. And he will say that name on the wind as he rides until he finds that soul he wow. is supposed to harvest. You cannot escape the Dulahan. A reaper, basically. Basically a reaper. You yeah. cannot escape the Dulahan. Once he is after you, he is he's after you. After you. Yeah, the, the, you mm. can hide. You can go in the house. You can offer him gold. The gold may stop him for a little bit, but it will not stop no. him permanently. No. Now, if you cross a Dulahan on his ride and you're not the intended soul, you could become blind or deaf, either temporarily or permanently. So you don't want to cross paths of the Dullahan. Definitely if you not. hear a Dullahan coming, you hide and wow. pray that he's not coming for you. This reminds me of the uh, uh, story of, uh, of the Irish talk about the little people. You never follow them in the hunt. And if you witness them in their hunt, you could very easily be captured and never re- uh, released. Right, uh, right. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. Ghost to Ghost is sponsored by Spirit Indiana Paranormal, covering the Hoosier State since 2002, Indiana's oldest paranormal investigation group. If you're experiencing what you believe to be paranormal issues, reach out to us for help at www.spiritindiana.com or our hotline at 317-883-9103. Again, that is www.spiritindiana.com. Our hotline again is 317-883-9103. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back. Thank you so much, Zarzar, for that little interruption. (laughs) (laughs) But that actually was a good segue because um, we're going to jump back a little bit into um, some of the character history. Okay. Okay. So we've mapped out where he's gotten the Headless Horseman guy. Uh The Hessians were in the area. Okay, so he drew on Germanic lore to bring that Headless Horseman and the Dullahan in, right? So, it's a story, right? It, yes. It's it's fiction. It's not based on real people. But as we saw with Ichabod Crane, it is Ichabod based on real was people. a real exactly, person. Exactly, yeah. He wasn't the only one. No good. Well, we know the Hessian was, was there. The, the Hessian was and there. The Van Tassels. Terry yeah. Count, the Van yeah. Tassels were there, absolutely. It turns out that the Van Tassel, I said uh, Wolford's Roost, mm-hmm. was the Van Tassel home. Okay, Wolford's Roost is the home that Washington Irving purchased in 1835 when he moved back to Terrytown, and he <coughs> named it Sunnyside. 
So he purchased it from the Van he Tassel. He purchased the Van Tassel home, and that's what he lived in ah, until his okay, death. Okay. okay. Um, so Van Tassel's a real name. Um, I'm not going to give you more. If you want to have every breakdown of these characters, you have to read mm-hmm. Mr. Kellerman's article that I sourced yeah, that's, earlier. That's very the interesting. I like horror, that article. Because he breaks down everything. And um, Catherine Van Tassel is based on a real person. Okay. Okay. Um, Brom Bones is based on two people, actually. Yes. And they are both named Brom, and they are both blacksmiths. Oh, really? In the area. Yes, absolutely. Now, the one that I did pull out, and I'm going to read straight from Mr. Kellerman's article here. Okay. Because not only is it interesting that Brom Bones' character is brought from this person, mm-hmm. um, but it also involves Jesse Merwin, who is the character base for Ichabod Crane. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Now, this other Brom is a kinderhook. New York's Abraham Von Alstein. He's from Kinderhook, New York, same as Jesse Merwin. Okay. According to local tradition, this Brahm helped inspire the idea of a prankster wrapped in sheets and mounted on a horse when he pranked the schoolmaster, Jesse Merwin. Poor and low in confidence, (laughs) Merwin was resisting his friend's hints to pop the question to his long-suffering fiancée, Jane Van Dyke. So okay. Merwin is not popping the question, and Jane is getting very bothered by this. <laughs> getting antsy. Yep. So bothered by Merwin's lack of initiative, mutual friends met and designed a Shavari? Kavari? C-H-A-R-I-V-A-R-I. It's a rustic hazing ritual oh, okay. meant to frighten ambling lovers into either marrying or calling it quits. I've never heard of it. I, no. I hadn't either. Yeah. I hadn't either. One night after leaving Jane's house, Merwin found himself being followed by a spectral horseman muffled in fluttering drapery. The stalking developed into a race, with the shapeless specter suddenly disappearing in a cackle of familiar laughter. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brom Van Alstyne. Oh, yes. So, taking the hint, Merwin proposed and married Jane Van Dyke rather than suffer a lifetime of similar assaults by his friends. <laughs> So there we have the headless specter riding oh, yeah. after and chasing the school teacher. Yes. Now, different twist, obviously, because this Ichabod, this school teacher, got his fiance. Yeah. <laughs> he got well, the, the Disney title. one, he goes to a different town and Mary supposedly <clears throat> is, the, is right, the rumor. Right. So, yes. So, and actually, uh, Mr. Kellerman says that um, the people of Kinderhook, New York, have actually been trying to get um, Sleepy Hollow. Not necessarily erased from the map, but <coughs> they claim that Ichabod or that Washington Irving is actually talking about Kinderhook, New York, because yes. here's Brom Bones, yes, you know the, their their blacksmith von Alstein, and Jesse Merwin, their Ichabod Crane, yes, and they did the the spectral ride. He's talking sure. about our town. Yes. We, we need the fame. Oh yeah. yeah, no, no, because because it's all about commercial. Well, it's not necessarily all about commercial because we're talking about the hauntings of Sleepy Hollow and Terrytown today. Yes. And I'm going to go back to my book here for a second. Okay. Because not only does he talk about um, the area, Terrytown. Yes. But he also talks about... Kinderhook? No. No? Hauntings of Terrytown. Okay, okay. So here we go here. 
These are previous to his story, so these are... These are previous to his story. Okay. Um, this is actual real legends that take place in Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow today, and they are in the legend of Sleepy Hollow. The immediate causes, however, of the prevalence of supernatural stories in these parts was doubtless owing to the vicinity of Sleepy Hollow. There was a contagion in the very air that blew from the haunted region. It breathed forth an atmosphere of dreams and fancies infecting all the land. Several of the Sleepy Hollow people were present at Van Tassels and, as usual, were doling out their wild and wonderful legends. Many dismal tales were told about funeral trains and mourning cries and wailings heard and seen about the great tree where the unfortunate Major Andre was taken and which stood in this neighborhood. Some mention was made also of the woman in white that haunted the dark glen at Raven Rock and was often heard to shrink on winter nights before a storm having perished there in the snow. The chief parts of the story, however, turned up upon the favorite specter of Sleepy Hollow and the Headless Horseman, who had been heard several times of late patrolling the country, and, it was said, tethered his horse nightly among the graves in the churchyard. Uh, so right here in the story... A banshee involved there, mm -hmm. too. Well, when you well, there look... there were a lot of Irish in that area, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 Dutch, yeah. Irish, um, sure. French, Huguenots, like we said earlier... So there was already mm -hmm. a prevalent supernatural history going on. So let's break down just a couple okay. of the hauntings there today, still. Okay. We talked about Major John Andre. Let's go into him just a second more. On October 2nd, 1870, he was hanged in Tappan, New York. But visitors say that his ghost has gone back to where he was captured. The sound of horse hoofs can be heard echoing down the road, stopping at the exact spot where Andre was captured, under the tulip tree. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's trying <coughs> to succeed in his mission. Maybe he wants to claim another side, instead of saying British, saying I'm American. Yeah. Or maybe he just wants to locate the young miss that he had a crush on. He was a well-known poet, and sometimes you can hear poetry whispered on the wind wow. around that area. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right? Yeah, it's plausible. It is plausible. Uh, we have Raven Rock that we just mentioned in Washington Irving's yes. story, right? Raven Rock is a legitimate Sleepy Hollow ghost. It's a craggy glacial scar named for its eerie tendency to attract the gloomy blue uh, birds, the ravens. A ghostly woman in white has two different backstories. The first is that she was a desperate single mother gathering firewood to heat her cottage before a blizzard, but that she was caught off guard and froze to death under Raven Rock. The other states that she is a young girl who had arranged to elope with a British officer. She arrives in her dress at the rock on the appointed date, but he doesn't appear. Instead, a, biz a blizzard <laughs> begins to fall, <laughs> and she remains steadfast waiting for him. Uh, but death overtakes her. Either way, the lady in white moans pitifully there in the snowstorms and has been observed in Sleepy Hollow since colonial times. So wow. this was already a story before Washington Good Irving before. even wrote yeah, his story. Yeah, it certainly had some influence. Mm -hmm. You have to look yeah. at it that way. Yeah. yeah. The other um, legend is Spook Rock. So not Raven okay. Rock, but Spook Rock. Uh it's a Native American tribal princess who ran off with her lover against her father's permission. The couple paused at the rock to take a breath and to rest when a sudden storm blew up and flooded and swept the lovers and drowned them. 
and a young maiden is said to still haunt this spot with her moans and wails in the air. Uh-huh. And, of course, Sleepy Hollow Cemetery is also said to be haunted. Yes. Before and after, because before we heard well, those stories of the Hessians. Every town has to have a, a white lady, I mean, or every a town haunted, has a white or a, lady. Or a weeping yep. lady in the cemetery, I mean. Yep. Yeah, every town. Um, okay, let me go through my notes here real quick. There, we got that, we got that. You so, know, I can see so much, though, uh, folklore coming out. You know, when we talked earlier about not crossing running water, the ghost won't cross running water. You know, and, and of course, later on, after it's been candy-coated and rolled around four or five times, we get the fact that the bridge, the ghost can't cross the bridge. But they never tell you why they can't cross well, the bridge. Well, just in our previous episode, Fisher's Ghost, same thing. Yes. The ghost disappeared on the bridge. Yep. Lots of tales say yep. ghosts can't cross water. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, sure. we get tales of spirits crossing oceans to go visit family oh, members yes, after yes. they've passed. So that's an interesting one. I tried to delve into a little bit, but it was so it, all over yeah, the place yeah. that I just don't. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on it, but it goes, you know, and, and some of this, I think, goes back to Viking lore. And, and we're getting back into to that religion and the fact that, you know, that they weren't, there was territorial divides, and those were divided by running water and rivers, and they weren't allowed to pass. Oh. I, I don't think it's necessarily what we think, because ghosts can pass through most things that they desire oh, to do I so. I would think so. And I think it's, yeah, basically oh, yeah. A, a structure of the folklore and the fiction. Yeah. You, you need I a way to that. be safe. Exactly, and that they've made that. Well, back as, then, as you barrier. didn't cross rivers, and you know they didn't. It, especially a lot of places, if you're going to town, it had one bridge. That was it. Yeah. So if you otherwise you stayed out. I mean, even you know in a lot of Christian religions, when they were baptizing people, people wanted to be baptized had to wait to spring. Because you couldn't take the chance on catching pneumonia and dying, right. which was very much a possibility of becoming ill if you've been in ice cold water. So, right. I mean, you know, right. certainly that's part of it. Well, the last one we're going to discuss here, and certainly by no means the only one, because there are more that I didn't go into, Sure, uh, is Sunnyside itself, Washington Irving's home, which... I didn't realize was actually Van Tassel's home when yeah, I wrote the script. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so when he comes back in 1835, uh, it sits on the bank of the Hudson River, and most of its furnishings are still original to the wow. Irving family. He lived there with his nieces um, and some other family, but it is said that he and his nieces are still seen in the house today. They still haunt the, the home Sunnyside today. He likes the tower known as the Bogota Tower. And supposedly in 2010, there was a photo taken that seems to show a ghostly figure of a head and upper body holding a quill pen. Ah, now, okay. Now, I, I couldn't find that anywhere. Okay. I looked for it, but I couldn't find it. But I believe that it might be in a book that I'm trying to track down. And I don't know the name of the book, so that's why I, I'm not going to say it here because I've got to find that out. But if I do find it, I'll post it on our Facebook page, guys, yeah, so you'll know. Very good. Um. So this is where I was going to end, but I'm just going to say one more thing again yes. about, about Mr. Kellerman's article. You guys need to open it because in the bottom part of the article, he actually takes a modern-day map of Terrytown. Yes. And he traces Ichabod's ride from the wow. horseman. And it follows this country road. I think it was State Road 9. And he follows it and he maps it out. And he's got pictures and he shows where this would have happened and that would have happened. It's I definitely want to look really, that up. Oh, this article is great. Again, it's the classic horror blog, literary essays on gothic horror, ghost stories, and weird fiction 
by M. Grant Kellerman. You guys, you got to pull this up and read through it. It's about a 20-minute read. It took me a long time and probably a little bit longer because I was looking at the maps and the pictures. He shows pictures of the bridge and what it might have looked like, where the bridges were, what bridge it wasn't. Just really, that is an amazing article. Um, the other sources I had were um, www.sleepyhollowny.gov. Uh, the Blurry Photos podcast did a great breakdown, and they've got some really interesting literary examinations of the storyline, the plot. Um, and then Elizabeth Bradley with the Historical Hudson Valley, she's got a book, Knickerbocker, The Myth Behind New York. She gave me a lot of the information on Washington Irving and his background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, check those out if you guys want more. All right. Well, I tell you what. Again, this is always my favorite favorite episode. It's been a lot of fun tonight. So, I want to wish everybody a happy Halloween. Hold on. Oh, um, we, we got new news. Well, Breaking I, I did, news. I did a little googling while sitting <laughs> here because oh. you know that's what I do. Um, Knickerbocker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh okay okay. Uh, we have news on the term well, Knickerbocker. It, it's a couple things came up uh, according to NBA.com. And turn Knickerbockers traces origin to Dutch settlers who came to the New World, especially to what is now New York in the 1600s. And it comes from the pants that they wore. They rolled up past oh, that all of their knees. Of course, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Knickerbocker pants. Yep. yep. Um, yes. Yep, yep, that makes Ancestry.com says it came from, it's an occupational name. And this is for the last name. And it's, um, Originally Knickerbacker, mm -hmm. as in marble ma baker, a children of, of a baker of children's clay marbles. marbles. Wow! Oh, interesting. Emma mm -hmm. thought it was maybe a boxer who was boxing in his undershorts. Well, <laughs> they're knickers. And I, I she think saw they did that a lot in the navy. I mean, they had some that you know. <laughs> who knows? Well, boxers did box in their in knickers. Boxer. That's why they were called and boxers. Everybody's yeah. favorite website, Wikipedia. On their other uses, uh, we had the Knickerbocker neck, the baggy knee trousers. There was a USS Knickerbocker, a Navy tug minesweeper. Oh, oh I didn't know that one. Who, uh, who was in commission from 1917 to 1919. Mm. The poor bastards that end up on a tug. It was a, oh. a Knickerbocker glory. It's an ice cream sundae. <laughs> we really delved into Knickerbocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course... Knickerbocker. Well, they actually, you the, were talking the, about the boxers. Train. Yeah. And that, that that's And there's the Knickerbocker, Texas. Mm. Huh? And Knickers. Oh, yeah. Well, that, and that, you <laughs> know, they when they boxed back then, because that that comes from the Greeks when they originally boxed, because Greeks would fight nude. nude. I mean, totally nude. Yeah. So, and the same as the Romans. So, when, when in the Navy started it out, they would, they would put their skibbies on, which was basically their boxers. And that's how those got named that way, because they would fight in their boxers. Because mm -hmm. back then, women were allowed aboard ship, and they could get away with it, you know? So, I did forget one thing. As you were talking mm -hmm. about the Knickerbockers, it reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. You know, Ichabod Crane came into uh, Sleepy Hollow as an outsider, right? Yes. And we talked about how Brom Bones was the hero yeah, yeah. of the, the area. People think that it's a pumpkin because pumpkins are associated with Halloween. And it was a jack-o'-lantern because of Halloween. Yeah, and they said it was round. But it's not, is it? Because we know, no, we know turnips originally. that turnips were yeah. the original yes. jack-o'-lanterns, jack right? Yeah. Yeah. And Pumpkins were not associated with the Halloween until the, the 1860s. Yeah. No. Actually, 
the Yankees mm-hmm. love their pumpkins. So a Dutch enclave throwing the pumpkin at Ichabod is like somebody throwing an orange at a Floridian, like, go back home. Uh, okay. Go back home. So we have You're some inner meaning here. here. Yes. There's more meaning. And, of course, Mr. Kellermeyer yeah. brought that up to my attention, wow. that the pumpkin was actually more symbolic of get out of our town. Get out. You yeah. don't belong yeah. here. Yeah. He ran it on a rail. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. But so, so many well, we, We've had go a good down. deep dive. This was a fun one. It's been, yeah, it's been very fun. much fun. Well, folks, thank you so much once again for listening to... Uh, a ghost to ghost. We want to, on behalf of myself and the ladies, we want to wish you a very merry, happy Halloween. We ask you to be safe and be careful out there, but enjoy the holiday. So, that is all we have for tonight, and this is the conclusion of tonight's episode, Ghost to Ghost. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode. The episode, Ghost to Ghost, was written by Jennifer Vern. It is now time for a ghost story of the day with Jennifer Vern. Today's ghost story of the day is from Hoosier Folk Legends. By Ronald L. Baker. Headless Ghost of Tramp at the Free Springs Bridge. Southeast of the city limits of Sullivan, Indiana, there is a place called Free Springs. A small stream runs parallel to a railroad track, and there is a narrow gravel road that crosses the railroad tracks and a bridge over the stream. According to legend, there was a body found under the Free Springs Bridge sometime in the past. This body was headless and no one could identify it. It was generally supposed that it was a body of a tramp that had met foul play and been dumped from a train passing through the area. No great effort was ever made to identify the body, and it was buried without a head. Ever since the body was buried, there have been many reports of strange noises and sightings of headless beings around the Free Springs Bridge. This legend is common knowledge among the teenagers of Sullivan County, and a favorite pastime of many of these is to go to Free Springs in the dead of night, to see or hear the ghost. Thanks for listening to Ghost to Ghost. Again, I'm your host, Chief Lawson. You can find Ghost to Ghost on all major formats on the 15th and 30th of the month at midnight. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, maybe have a question or subject you'd like to ask about on air, or be used on the show, please email us at ghost2ghost at spiritindiana.com, ghost2ghost at spiritindiana.com. I want to thank my production staff on Spirit, Jennifer Vern, our research manager and our producer, and Heather Lawson, our trainer on Spirit and our podcast director for helping make these podcasts possible. My chief of staff, Andrew Books, for his guidance and help on the scripts, and everyone else involved. Thank you so much. See you next time. Until then, stay safe and remember the truth is out there. Good night. Ghost to Ghost podcast and its contents is the property of Spirit Paranormal LTD, all rights reserved. We welcome you to download and play the podcast and share with others for personal use. You may not, except with written permission, use or distribute its contents for commercial use. Spirit Indiana Paranormal, covering the Hoosier State since 2002, Indy's oldest parapsychology investigation group. If you're experiencing what you believe to be paranormal issues, reach out to us for help at www dot spiritindiana.com or call our hotline at 317-883-9103 again that is www.spiritindiana.com or our hotline at 317-883-9103 thank you for listening take care of yourself and the ones you love and be safe out there